this morning. Let's uh, once again open our Bibles uh, to where we have been for a few weeks now and probably will be for some time in the future uh, to the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to Titus, the first chapter of Paul's letter to Titus. And this morning I'm just going to uh, read the first three verses here of Titus chapter 1 uh, again, and then uh, we will concentrate our time, if God is pleased to enable us to do so, this morning on just one of those verses, that being the first verse. Uh, I have found that uh, there is a gold mine, if you will, or a storehouse or a wealth of uh, instruction and, and blessing in just this one brief verse, the first verse of Titus chapter 1. But we'll read three verses and then uh, ask God's blessing upon our time and God's help both for my preaching and for your hearing and trust that the Lord will speak to our hearts. Let's read Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. You follow along in your Bible as I read from mine. Paul, a servant, most literally bondservant, even perhaps stronger than bondservant, the word doulos is the word translated uh, servant here, but it's literally slave. Paul, a slave. And I just want to mention this. I don't think I've mentioned this before, but uh, we, uh, we know that the Lord Jesus tells us that if the truth will, if, if we know the truth, we'll be set free. And that is true. Uh, the truth will set us free from bondage to our sin. But it's a freedom from one thing, sin, to slavery to something else. Uh, let's not forget passages of Scripture like the Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthians when he says, What? Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit whom you have of God and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are His. We are purchased by the Lord. At what a great price, I might add, were we purchased. His own life, His own shed blood poured out in payment for our sin. And having done so, He owns us. And we are truly slaves to Jesus Christ. But willingly, we are slaves to Christ. And so when Paul says that he is a servant, he is most literally saying he is the slave of God. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness or which brings agreement with godliness in hope of eternal life which God who never lies promised before the ages began. Some translations have before time began. Uh, 
It's a promise that God made long before creation, in eternity past. And uh, uh, that's what we're considering here in this passage of Scripture. The things of God that were ordained before the foundation of the world. And uh, he goes on then to say, and at the proper time, manifested or revealed in His Word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. Well, I want us to go to the Lord in prayer this morning and I will uh, be selfish again if I can and ask please pray for me as we bow before the Lord uh, that God would enable me to speak that which he would have me to speak and I'm going to ask uh, Justin if he would if he would just voice our prayer praying both for me and for all of us that we will hear God speak to our hearts today Justin would you please lead us in prayer Gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you that we're able once again to come uh, before you as a, as a body this morning, Lord, and uh, seek to worship you in spirit and truth, Lord, that we might uh, learn from you here this morning the, the words that the Holy Spirit uh, gives us to hear. Lord, I pray that you would uh, speak through Dad, that you would... Uh, give him unction from on high and that the Holy Spirit would lead him in the things that, that you would have us to hear, the things that you would have us to see in your word here this morning, Lord. Give us eyes to see them, give us ears to hear them, and hearts to be receptive to the things that you have for us. Lord, uh, forgive us of our sins and our mm -hmm. iniquities and those things that make us hard-hearted and, and, oh, and prone, to, uh, prone to stray away, Lord. Uh, bring us close to you, Unite our hearts together in worship here this morning. And then we pray. Amen. 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 Well, I thank you for praying for me and assure you that I am praying for you as well this morning. Uh, back again now here to Titus chapter 1 and verse 1 where I, I want us to concentrate uh, the time that we spend together on this verse this morning and uh, one thing in particular in this verse, there is so much in it. Uh, my heart this week as I've considered these things has just been filled to overflowing with rejoicing. Rejoicing because of what Paul says that uh, is the burden and the concern of his heart as he writes this letter to Titus, who was a young man uh, leading the church on the island of Crete, uh, where Paul had previously passed through and, and preached, and many were converted, many were saved, many were delivered from their sin and their bondage to sin, and made to be slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ, just like the Apostle Paul describes himself, as is the case, as I said, for all of us who are believers and trusting in Christ uh, for the salvation that He grants but uh, a wealth of information here. Uh, and, and Paul does tell us his reason <coughs> for writing this letter to Titus. 
Indians. Don, if you would get me a little water, I can sit up here. But uh, he says that he's writing this letter to Titus. He tells him that it's for the sake of uh, the the uh, faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, and uh, or which brings agreement with godliness. Something that uh, needs to be done in all of our lives. Well, we come into this world not at all in agreement with God. Is that not true? Does not the Scripture tell us that that's what sin does? It separates us from God. It alienates us from God. But not just alienates us from God. Our sin puts us at enmity to God. As Paul says in Romans chapter 8, the carnal mind is not subject to the law of God. It can't be. It is at enmity to God. And a more definite translation of the word enmity there is hostile. Uh, Our old natural heart that we have as we come into this world is hostile to God. We really want nothing to do with God and and as a matter of fact even would go so far as to deny His existence. Uh, You know, out of sight, out of mind. If, If we can if we can convince ourselves that uh, that there is no God, then we don't have to deal with what God says is true of us. And so Paul is writing here for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth. Uh, I believe that we've already taken some time to consider the faith of God's elect, that not just being uh, the act of God's chosen ones coming to place their trust and their confidence in Him. But it goes further than that. The faith of God's elect is uh, also uh, has everything to do with the content of what we're believing. And that is who Jesus is and what He has done. Uh, that's the faith of God's elect. But He doesn't say that's the only thing that He's writing uh, about here. He's also writing because he has a concern for their knowledge of the truth. The the knowledge of God's elect uh, of of the truth and how important that truth is. Uh, We're going to come back and look at God's elect. Uh, Those of us who were together last Sunday and our number was a little small so we actually went out in the backyard and had a Bible study and talked some about God's elect and how that we can know if we are God's elect. But I want to come back to that because there's a lot to consider there. And uh, anytime we talk about God's elect as we should in our understanding of what it really means to be the elect of God, we realize that this is something that uh, was ordained by God. God had a people that He set His love upon before the foundation of the world and actually decreed who they would be and what He would do to secure their salvation. And, uh, (coughs) excuse me, get a sip of this water. But anyway, we'll come back and we'll look at the subject of God's elect and And I think it would be helpful for us to do this if we would understand this is in the context of all of God's eternal decrees. God has decreed everything that comes to pass. And therefore He works out 
in his providence all that he has decreed, he does accomplish that which he decreed in eternity past. But this morning I want us to jump over God's elect, realizing that we will come back to that, and, and spend our time on uh, the knowledge of the truth. The knowledge of the truth. Perhaps you noticed as uh, uh, you were following along in your Bible as I read from mine uh, in John chapter 18 this morning at the beginning of our hour here, our time together, perhaps you'd like to go back to that with me again for just a moment. A portion of it in John chapter 18 where Jesus is uh, before Pilate having been accused of the Jews of something worthy of death although Pilate made it very clear he didn't see any such thing in the life of this man Jesus that would cause him to be worthy of being put to death. Nevertheless, he stands before Pilate and, uh, and Pilate is, uh, is asking him, are you, because he had heard this I'm sure many times, uh, are you the king of the Jews? Well, Jesus uh, uh, asked him then, are you saying this of your own accord, or have you just heard others say this about me? But at any rate, uh, uh, Jesus went on in verse 36 there of John chapter 18 and say, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. And uh, this is not the only time or the only place that Jesus makes a statement like this. And it's not the only time that we read in the Scripture uh, written by others about Jesus and about His kingdom. Uh, it is not a physical kingdom that Jesus is talking about. Never did He intend it be. It is a spiritual kingdom. Therefore, He says it's not of this world. It's not a physical kingdom. So Pilate said to him, So then are you a king? In verse 37. And Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose have I come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. To bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And then Pilate said to Jesus, and not really wanting an answer from Christ, but in a very sarcastic, haughty way, what is the truth? What is the truth? Well, this morning, <clears throat> I would like to uh, voice myself Pilate's question, only I would, I would voice that question, what is the truth, out of sincerity of heart, desiring truly to know what the truth is. And so we want to do that this morning. Consider the truth and what it is. Uh, it was something so important that Paul would write a letter to Titus making sure that before Titus left the island of Crete and came to where Paul was to continue ministering with Paul, he wanted to make sure that Titus uh, would see to it that other men there on Crete were properly prepared to lead the church in his absence. <coughs> and so, <coughs> Paul will write to him just a little bit later in verse 5, 
This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I have directed you. Because he wanted to make sure that there were men able, capable of preaching the truth, teaching the truth, uh, when Titus was absent and no longer there. And so he uh, gives him instruction here about uh, what, they, what he needs to do to ensure that the faith of God's elect would be properly taught and proclaimed and the knowledge of the truth would be taught and proclaimed. So let's voice together, if we can this morning, uh, Pilate's question only, as I said, out of the sincerity of our heart, desiring to know uh, what the truth really is. <coughs> tickle doesn't want to go away. Uh, well, Jesus himself tells us what the truth is in more than one place. So if you want to turn with me back to the Gospel of John again, uh, we'll go back a chapter back a chapter further than what we were reading there in the 18th chapter of John to uh, chapter 17 of the Gospel according to John. Look at this with me, if you would. Uh, Jesus is actually praying. And this is the, the high intercessory prayer, the high priestly prayer, the intercessory prayer that Jesus offers on behalf of all uh, that God the Father set His love upon from before the foundation of the world. Uh, His elect. Uh, and so he says in verse 14 of John chapter 17, uh, as he prays to the Father, I have given them your word. I have given them your word. Hang on to that. Hang on to that. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you... Keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And now listen to what he says. He says to the Father, he prays, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Your word is truth. And it's interesting to me that as Paul is writing this letter to Titus because he wants to make sure that uh, the knowledge of the truth and the truth and what it really is is properly taught and proclaimed there on the island of Crete that he goes on to say which accords <coughs> excuse me <coughs> or which brings agreement with godliness uh, godliness is something that God demands we're well aware of that. Uh, we're taught in the Scripture, we go to First Peter chapter 1, Peter will be quoting from the Old Testament where uh, God spoke through His servant there in the Old Testament and said, Be ye holy, for I the Lord your God am holy. And uh, the Apostle Paul, as he's writing, as it's recorded in his letter to the Hebrews in chapter 12 and verse 14, I believe it is, says, without holiness, no man shall ever see the Lord. And so God demands holiness or God demands godliness uh, in order that we are able to actually be in His presence. 
And so it's interesting to me that uh, uh, as Jesus is praying here, uh, that he prays, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And just a little bit later, he, uh, he tells us in his prayer why it is that he asks that we be sanctified uh, in the truth and, and that the word of God is the truth. In verse 24 of John chapter 17, he says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. Uh, there is a necessity for us to be made holy. Uh, there is a necessity of us being sanctified. And that word sanctified literally means uh, to be holy, to be set apart, to be holy, or to be godly, that we might have the godliness that God demands in order for us to be in His presence. And so Jesus tells us that it is the truth that is used to sanctify us, or it is the truth that God uses in our lives to make us what we must be to stand in His presence. And Jesus tells us what the truth is, does He not? He says it's the Word of God. Truth is the Word of God. Jesus also, were we to go back just a couple of chapters further in the Gospel according to John, into the 14th chapter, you recall that Jesus is speaking to His disciples, seeking to prepare them for the fact that He's going to go back to the Father and leave them. And He knew that they would be very troubled by His leaving them and by His absence. <coughs> and so He tells them, uh, let not your heart be troubled. There in verse uh, 6, uh, verse 1, of, I believe it is, of chapter 14. Of John, He says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, He said. And uh, then a little bit later, Thomas asked Him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how do we know how to get there? And Jesus answered him, and He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes unto the Father but by me. And so Jesus tells us two things about what the truth is, which in reality is just one thing. He says in John chapter 17 that the truth is God's Word. And He Himself said to, to, to Thomas there in John 14 that He is the truth. And He is also the Word, is He not? Were we to go back to the first chapter of the Gospel according to John, we would find John beginning his account of the Gospel saying, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And then in verse 14, he tells us that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Who is that? Who is that Word that became flesh and dwelt among us? It is the Lord Jesus. It is the only begotten Son of God. It is the eternal Word of God that was born there as a child in the manger in Bethlehem who grew up to be the man, the God-man, Christ Jesus, the promised Messiah, the Christ, the Christ upon whom we all must lean 
and trust in and rely on in order if we're going to come into the presence of the Father. And Jesus said, uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. And so what is the truth? What is the truth? The truth is the Word of God, both the living Word of God and the written Word of God. Uh, Jesus was speaking in the 8th chapter of John to a group of very religious Jews, and He's talking to them about the fact that they uh, are all sinners, and they're all denying that, of course, but Jesus told them, if the truth makes you free, you'll be free indeed. If the truth makes you free, you'll be free indeed. And so it is the truth that liberates us from our sin. It is the truth that then works in our hearts and lives to conform us to the image of God's Son in order that we might one day stand in the presence of a holy God just as holy as the Lord Jesus Himself. And so we see from this that the truth is not something to take lightly, right? What is the truth? It's something of great value. The truth. As a matter of fact, it is of the greatest value. Uh, the truth is. Uh, Solomon, in all of his wisdom, in all the things that he recorded uh, in the Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 23 and uh, verse 23, there Solomon will say, buy the truth and sell it not. Now he's not saying at all that we can really purchase the truth. Uh, we don't have near enough to do so. Uh, he's just saying at whatever the cost, make sure that you have the truth. Make sure that you have the truth. And when you have the truth, do not forsake it. Do not let it part from you because it is the truth. It is the truth and the truth alone that will bring us for all of eternity into the presence of a holy God. And so the value of truth. Uh, we, we find Solomon's father, King David, back in the book of Psalms, in the 19th Psalm. You might want to turn there and look at this with me for just a moment. Psalm 19. Here David is telling us a little bit about what the Word of God is, or what the truth is. Psalm 19. If I can get my fingers to work again this morning and turn the pages correctly, I'll get there a little bit. Psalm 19. Oh, beginning with verse 7. Let's just uh, take a look at this if we could. Psalm 19, beginning with verse 7. Here the psalmist says, The law of the Lord is perfect. And here the, the law of the Lord is simply another uh, another word for the Word of the Lord. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony, the Word of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts, the Word of the Lord, uh, are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment, the Word of the Lord, is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord, another synonym for word. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true, righteous altogether. Now listen to what David <coughs> says about these things that are synonymous with the word. He says, more to be desired are they than gold, 
even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, or the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. More valuable than gold is the truth, is the truth, which is the Word of God. May we hide that thought in our hearts this morning and realize that this truth that Pilate so mockingly asked Jesus, what is truth? This truth is of more value than any other thing that we might ever imagine. The truth, the Word of God, both the written Word and the living Word of God. I was thinking about the value of the Word this week. Several days I sat in my study for a time just thinking and meditating upon portions of Scripture that I was familiar with that tells us something about the Word of God. And in each and every instance, I I was brought face to face with the fact that this Word is of greater value than I can even imagine. What does God's Word do? What is it for us? Everything. It is everything for us. Uh, You know, I was thinking about what David said in the 119th Psalm when he said in verse 11 there, Psalm 119, uh, King James has it, uh, Thy Word have I hidden in my heart. I believe the ESV says stored or stored up in my heart. Thy Word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against Thee. Wouldn't it be something of great value to us? Something that would keep us from disobeying the Lord? Something that would keep us from rebelling against God? Something that would fence us in, if you will, that we might not transgress the things that God says uh, are right? That we don't disobey? That we don't sin against Him? How valuable would that be to us? To know that if we just had God's Word hidden or stored up in our hearts, it would be a preventative of sin in our lives. Oh, how valuable God's Word is. A little bit later in that same 119th Psalm, the psalmist says there, Your Word, O Lord, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. (laughs) Picture, if you will, yourself in the midst of a, a, a forest uh, a dense forest and it's pitch dark and you need to make your way through and find the path that leads through this forest but it's pitch dark think what value you would consider a lamp or a light to be in a case like that otherwise you would perish there in that forest never finding your way out all oh, the value of truth how precious it is the word of god Uh, The Apostle, as he's writing his letter to the Hebrews, uh, tells them in Hebrews chapter 12, or chapter 4 actually, verse 12. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, you may want to look at this. This might be a, a scripture that you would care to underline in your Bible if you haven't already because it tells us something about the Word of God that makes us to realize just how valuable it is, this Word that is the truth. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, 
he writes here, for the Word of God. For the Word of God. Our King James Bible says the Word of God is active and powerful. Uh, well, the ESV that I'm reading from here this morning says, for the Word of God is living and active. Uh, actually, in the King James it says it's quick and powerful. And here in the ESV, it's the Word of God is living and active. It is a living Word. A living Word. And indeed it is when we realize that the Word of God is God's Son, the Lord Jesus. He not only did live, He ever lives. And He ever lives according to what we would read a little bit later here in Hebrews to make intercession for us to continue to plead our case before God as He is the one who has taken his, our sin upon Himself in order that we might be acceptable in God's eyes. So he says the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intents of the heart. <coughs> Where would any of us be this Lord's Day morning? had God's Word not shined into our old sinful hearts, revealing to us what they were like. Where would we be? Do you remember what God saw as it's recorded there in Genesis uh, chapter uh, 6, I believe it is, of Genesis, where the Scripture tells us that God looked down upon man and He saw that every imagination of the thoughts of men's heart was only evil, continually before Him. Jeremiah tells us what the natural heart is like. He says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. A deceitful heart. That's the heart that we come into this world with. Do you remember the message that we preached a little bit earlier here from Titus chapter 1 where I entitled the message The Antidote for Deception? The antidote for deception. The only thing that is an antidote for deceit and lying that is what our old natural heart consists of, the only thing that is a remedy for that is what? The truth. The truth, which is what? The Word of God. God's Word alone can shine into our hearts to show us what our old heart is really like. And if we never see that our heart is exactly like God saw it, as recorded there in Genesis. Uh, every imagination, even of the thoughts of our heart, evil continually before Him. If we never see that our heart is deceitful and above all things desperately wicked, we will never see our need to be delivered or saved from that sinfulness of our heart, will we? We've got to see, we've got to understand uh, the depravity, the, the wickedness, the evil of our heart that puts us at enmity to God and separates us from Him. Uh, and it's only the truth, God's Word, that is a remedy for that. Uh, and so the Word of God is valuable to us because it reveals to us our heart and what the need of our life really is. But the Word of God does even more than that. If we were to turn to Romans chapter 1, Paul's letter to the church at Rome, in the first chapter and the 16th verse, 
Paul will say, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed of the gospel. Why is he not ashamed of the gospel? He says, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greeks. Now, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? It's the word of God. The gospel is God's word. And so not only is the word of God, the truth of God valuable to us because it shows us what our heart is like, it is also that which is the power of God to deliver us from our old, deceitful, deceptive, sinful heart. Uh, the power of God's Word. What is this power that Paul talks about that the Gospel is? It's the same power that uh, was in the Word of God in the first few verses of our Bible, is it not? You recall there it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and then He goes on to say, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And then God said. God spoke. God's Word was heard in the midst of darkness. The Word of God, the truth of God, the, the veracity of God, the integrity of God, the power of God came into play in the midst of the void, in the midst of the darkness. God's Word was the power, and when the Spirit of God activated that power, when God said, let there be light, what happened to the darkness? What happened to the darkness? What happens to the dark when you walk into a dark room where there's no light at all, and reach over and hit the light switch and turn the lights on. What happens to the dark? It disappears, doesn't it? It hides, it flees, it runs, it vanishes. That's what Paul is telling us the gospel does in a sinful heart. When the gospel, which is the Word of God, comes into that sinful heart and the Spirit of God is pleased to uh, empower that Word or, or quicken that Word or make it a living Word. <coughs> In a dead heart, life exists. Life comes into being and darkness or sin vanishes. It leaves. It's conquered. For where light is, darkness cannot exist. That's what the Word of God does. That's how valuable God's Word is. And what happens, what is it that God does when the power of the Gospel comes in? Well, Paul says it saves. I'm not ashamed of the Gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Uh, but God quickens or makes alive through His Word. Peter talks to us about talks to us about that back here in First Peter, chapter one. If you care to look at that with me, First Peter, chapter one. Verse twenty-three and following. Peter says, "Since you have been born again, since you have been quickened or made alive." not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. Uh, the Spirit of God 
takes the Word of God, just like it happened in the beginning with creation, and He creates new life through the Word of God spoken and empowered by His Spirit. We are quickened, we are born again, we are made alive unto God through the living and abiding Word of God. And he goes on to say in verse 25 that this Word of the Lord remains forever. It never ceases to be active in the life that it created within us. It's always there keeping us alive unto God. This Word, he goes on to say in verse 25, is the good news or the Gospel that was preached to you. James will tell us very much the same thing back in the first chapter of James. Uh, James chapter 1 and verse 18. Verse 18 of James chapter 1. Here James says, Of His own will He brought us forth uh, by the Word of truth. For He made us alive unto God by the Word of truth. How valuable is God's Word? Were it not for the Word of God, we would never have seen our sinfulness. Were it not for the Word of God and the power that is in the Word of God, we would have never been made alive unto God. We would still be dead in our sin, condemned by God, and facing the wrath of God for all of eternity. Oh, but this Word has got to be proclaimed, and it? it's got to be preached. Men have got to hear it. Men have got to hear the Word of God. Uh, I'll never forget when God spoke to me about preaching His Word. I had, uh, I had believed for some time that perhaps God was calling me to preach, but I was so confused at a period in my life, not understanding, not realizing. But there came a time as I knelt beside my bed in a college dorm room crying out to God that He would show me what He wanted me to do. And He spoke to my heart through the Scripture, through His Word. And He said, preach the Word. In season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Preach the Word. That's what God spoke to my heart. The same thing that Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse to preach the Word. Preach the Word, Timothy. That's what God spoke to my heart. Because God's Word has got to be proclaimed. If men are going to hear it, it's got to be proclaimed. Paul said just a little bit earlier to Timothy in the third chapter of Timothy that, Timothy, you have from a child known the Scriptures, the Word of God, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul tells us in his first letter to the church at Corinth that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. But he tells us also when he's writing to the Romans, the Christians there in Rome, that uh, excuse me, my mind just went blank. Uh, he tells us that the Word is near us 
even in our heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. But a little bit later, the question is asked, well, how are they going to believe if they haven't heard? How are they going to believe if they haven't heard? And Jesus tells us that the word must be proclaimed in order that men might hear it. Uh, because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Oh, how valuable is God's word. And to know that when God's word is spoken, it will accomplish what God intends. Isaiah the prophet tells us in Isaiah 55 and verse 11 that God said to him and through him, My word will not return unto me void, but it will accomplish that which I intend or that which I have purposed. God speaks and what happens? What God purposed. What God purposed. Oh, how thankful we should be that the Lord speaks to our hearts his word. Jesus, one of his responses to the devil in the temptation experience recorded in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus quoted from the Old Testament scripture and told the devil, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We live by the word of God. Not only are we made alive by the Word of God, we live by the Word of God. It is that which sustains us and keeps us and preserves us as those whom God set His love upon before the foundation of the world. Jesus, Jesus talked in the 10th chapter of John about the sheep. The sheep. And the sheep are none other than His elect those he set his love upon from before the foundation of the world. And he said there in John chapter 10, uh, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And he went on to say, and they hear me and they follow me. They hear me and they follow me. Oh, we must hear the word of God in order to follow him. This morning I trust that we'll see and understand how valuable God's Word is to us, how valuable the truth is to us. And in understanding that, have a clearer understanding of why it was that Paul was writing this letter to Titus so many years ago. He said he was writing for the sake of the faith of God's elect, those who would believe the truth or believe the Word. And he was writing in order that their knowledge of the truth or his word would not be left, but would be before those people there on the island of Crete. And so that brings us back to his elect. For they are the ones who are going to believe the truth, are they not? They are the ones who are going to believe the truth. As I said earlier, the subject of God's elect uh, cannot really be considered without realizing and understanding that it comes under the category of God's eternal decrees. What God has decreed is going to come to pass. And the, uh, the apostle tells us that all who are ordained to life are the ones who believe. Who are those who are ordained to life? His elect. Those that God set his love upon from before the foundation of the world. There is so much to be considered and and 
to seek to understand here in even just the first brief verse of Paul's letter to Titus. And so I trust that our hearts will hunger to know more and that God will enable us to come back again and consider the things that Paul is saying to Titus in his letter to him, which is a letter to us as well. May God impress upon our hearts the value this morning of the truth or his word. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, can we?